When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Expecting to talk about Cameron Jordan versus Brian O'Neill on the uh, you know in the trenches, and here we are talking about the potential of the Vikings trading Zimmer to Dallas or firing him if they lose to New Orleans. What is your take on Zimmer's status? Um, I you know I had heard people say that Mike Tomlin should be fired this year, and I thought that was the stupidest thing I've heard all year. And um, wow, right in under the gate. Just before the year's over, <laughs> officially now, of all the stupid things I've heard this year, firing Mike Zimmer, uh, yeah, but no, <laughs> come on, guys. Do you do you think uh, Jerry would attempt to trade for Mike though? Because that that one, from Jerry's standpoint, actually wouldn't shock me, Doug. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. And if you look, I mean, obviously, you look at Jerry's history. He had Jimmy Johnson, got rid of Jimmy because he wanted yes-men. He gets his yes-men. Then he brings in Parcells and gets tired of that because he wants to, you know, and then he gets Garrett. So it would be very much in character for Jerry at this point in time to say, well, I messed it up, and now I'm going to get a real guy. And Zimmer's obviously a real guy. Uh, There's obviously a huge history there. Most of... um, most of Dallas's best defenses in the Jerry Jones era came with, with, with Zimmer in charge of them. So, you know, what, I don't know what the Vikings would need. I don't, you know, that obviously would shake up the openings a lot because Minnesota would immediately become the most attractive opportunity. Um, so, you know, would it surprise me? I mean, it would surprise me more that Minnesota would let him go than anything else, but, you know, I don't want to say everyone has their price because that's you know that sounds a bit cold, but it's kind of true. Doug, the idea of there's always the next guy who's coming up and is the genius, and he's going to change everything, and he's going to get you there, it always kind of, in a way, makes me chuckle. I mean, certainly we've seen it work with some situations. Kyle Shanahan is a, a younger guy, but he made his bones with years of excellence on the offensive side and was able to do that the same with Sean McVay but then you hear you know the names like Lincoln Riley popping up and even Kevin Stefanski here who's in his first year as an offensive coordinator but he's been moved up toward the top of that list and even there has been some conversation about you move on from Zimmer but you keep Stefanski and move him up to the head coach I just think that our head starts spinning in a bunch of different weird directions when we talk about firing coaches because a lot of them just don't make sense to me. Like Dave Gettleman has a job today. Pat Shermer doesn't have a job today because of what now? I guess Shermer built that defense or something. I guess I've gotten to a point, Doug, where I don't understand these at all. 
Well, the Sherwin thing is interesting. I wrote a thing about this today. Um, he was nine and twenty-three with the Browns, and nine and twenty-three with the Giants, and people think, "Oh, he's a terrible coach." If you look at the situations he was in as a head coach, both the uh, one in Cleveland where Brandon Whedon was his best quarterback and Trent Richardson was his best running back, you can pretty much close the doors at that point. Um, obviously, the Giants have made some major mistakes um, in the last five or six years, so. You know, I don't. I don't think Schumer had a great situation in either of those cases, as far as offensive play design or defensive play design or college success as an indicator of the ability to be a head coach in the National Football League. I mean, most of the time, ninety percent of the time, when you're the head coach, you're not calling the offense or the defense. Dan Quinn saved his job in Atlanta because he gave up calling the defense. So, you know, the, and I'm and I'm always extremely wary of any college coach who, I mean, I, I was making the joke, the Panthers apparently reached out to Pat, Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern, and Fitzgerald turned him down, and my joke was, well, yeah, because NFL players have a union, and if you know <laughs> Pat Fitzgerald's history, he wouldn't like that. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with an entirely different level of, a, a lack of uh, it's a different kind of authority you have over players so when you're coming from college to the pros i mean is lincoln riley a good college coach sure he is is kevin stefanski a great offensive coordinator absolutely you could argue um in making case keenan one of the best deep passers in the nfl in, in 2017 that Schirmer actually did a better job than stefanski did with mm-hmm. perhaps less talent oh so, yes oh yes totally agree um and that's nothing against Stefanski. He could, he could be a wonderful head coach, and it would have very little to do with what he designs for Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays. There is, you know, I, it, me being in Seattle, I remember when Pete Carroll came up here, and my friend Rob Rang, um, who was very connected, called me before it was announced, said, you'll never guess who the Seahawks' next head coach is. And I said, okay. Shoot, he said, Pete Carroll. I laughed. I laughed so hard. I laughed like, uh, you know, I laughed like I was at a George Carlin show because <laughs> we didn't know. We didn't know that Pete Carroll had taken the time to review the mistakes he'd made. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that Pete Carroll was willing to and knew the the importance, the unbelievable importance of getting a general manager who was in lockstep with. So there's so much that goes into being a head coach that has absolutely nothing to do with, you know, designing three-level floods and, you know, backside fades and whatever, that I don't think there's, you know, the fact that you made Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray help to make them great quarterbacks is relatively irrelevant in the grand scheme of things when it comes to can you be a CEO, can you hire assistants, do you understand how to deal with players? You know, it's like, you know, it's like in any job. If you don't know how to deal with people and you don't understand the entire thing, then why would why would you be put in charge of anything, no matter how good you are at this or that? Right. Doug, I'm bugged by a report I saw, I believe, regarding the Giants and Browns job to today. And to me, it's it's I guess it's not shocking, but it's going backward. It's this, that those teams are basically planning to hire a coach, and then allow said coach to help pick or uh, who the GM is going to be. 
And to me, I don't get that. I, and is this a trend now? Because the coach already, when that person steps into the job, has enough on his plate. So to make him part of the GM process is confusing at best to me. Well, I, I mean, I think that happens to a greater or lesser degree either way where the coach or the GM has more sway. To refer back to Pete Carroll when he was hired. Um, they gave him entire, like total organizational control. And they, they the search firm that Paul Allen hired to – our Paul Allen, not your Paul Allen. I know they're both Paul Allen. <laughs> <laughs> um, the search firm that Paul Allen hired – to find the new head coach, uh, they originally wanted to give the job to Tony Dungy, and they wanted to make him the coach and the GM. People may or may not remember that. And Tony Dungy said, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. So they gave Carroll kind of charge of the whole building, and they also recommended John Schneider. So Carroll and Schneider met, and it was a fit, and it's obviously worked out. So, it, I mean, you, you're going to have to create and you and the extent to which that works really depends on the competence of the people at the top of the organizational flowchart. And right now, I wouldn't give much credit uh, to either the Giants or the Browns when it comes to you know that particular thing. Um, you know, so, you know, Matt Rule turned down the Jets because he was going to get no control at all. So. The Giants now becoming more desperate to turn things around. Do they give Matt Rule more control? You know, do, I, they're interested in Josh McDaniel. And I would, I mean, honestly, I would pay so much money to have Josh McDaniels and Dave Gettleman in the same draft room. That, oh my God, that would be hilarious. <laughs> so a lot of it's personality fit. A lot of it's just, you know, because if you're insisting that the coach get along with the general manager, you are to a large degree saying we want a yes man we believe in the gm it could be the other way around where the head coach really has the sway and the gm has to come in and certainly in the carol schneider dynamic it could have been that way because carol had the experience and schneider was kind of you know he obviously had talent but nobody really knew who he was and carol said yeah i believe in what you're doing i i've looked up your history i think you're a really smart guy I will focus on coaching. You focus on personnel and will obviously overlap, but it worked and it worked because there was a good authority responsibility dynamic. And again, a lot of this stuff with coaching, it works in it's, it's any profession from psychology to record production to operating a supermarket. It's not unique to the NFL it's just that a lot of people in the NFL are so bad at it, it kind of seems that way. It is amazing that we can have a, a gazillion-dollar industry, and yet we do have so many people bad at that, at that sort of thing. Um, yeah. we're, t- we're talking with Doug Farrar from uh, USA Today, also the author of The Genius of Desperation, a great football book. Um, now, Doug, Kirk Cousins, you and I have talked about him on the air before, and there's always... This thing where Kirk Cousins builds you up in some certain games and just looks marvelous, and you go, "Oh man, there's no reason that that guy can't take you deep in the playoffs." Look at that accuracy. Look at him throw it down the field. Think him and Stephon Diggs connected for more twenty-yard passing yards or whatever that traveled twenty yards through the air than any other combo in the NFL or whatever, something like that. And uh, yet, 
we see him against Green Bay, and it's sort of the same old song and dance. Monday Night Football. It's a you know against the good defense or a defense with talent, and he throws for a hundred and. 20 yards or whatever. And I guess going into another big playoff game here in Mike Zimmer's career, he has another different quarterback that is taking him in. And I understand why Vegas and a lot of other people would not be giving the Vikings a great chance when a lot of it, when you're putting odds on a game, is based on the quarterback. So my question to you would be, if Kirk Cousins somehow wins this game in New Orleans, how does that have to get done? Well, the thing about Cousins, and this has always been true, um, you know, and I, and I was, I, I, I'm sure I've told you this uh, about Cousins, and you know, I've I've never been the biggest fan, but I will say that based on what I saw of his college tape when I compared him to Matt Flynn, um, the guy has maximized his talent. I mean, I, he has he has floored it with preparation and work, and you can tell because he has improved as a passer. Um, drastically and graphically over his NFL career. And that's great. There are things that bedevil him. Um, tight coverage is a problem. He will make hero throws when he doesn't really have that sort of arm. And I think there are times when he struggles to read disguise coverage. I think he's gotten better at it. Problem with the Saints matchup is they play a lot of man. They play a lot of tight coverage. They, they will disguise very well. Dennis Allen, who... You know, there's another coaching head coaching candidate um, who had no chance <laughs> with his situation in Oakland. Um, but Dennis, he's going to get a lot of looks too. Um, you know, when when you have tight coverage, when you have really good athletes, opportunistic defensive backs who can disguise and then close in, um, when you have a pass rush that forces him to stay in the pocket, Kirk Cousins has thrown more boot action passes this year, uh, this season, than any quarterback but Jared Goff. And the only reason Goff has thrown more is he threw twenty, he threw 18 boot passes against the Niners in Week 16. So one thing Stefanski did was he said, I understand that you're better in boot than you are in the pocket. So it is not insulting Kirk Cousins or damning him with faint praise to say that he is a quarterback that needs to be schemed up his receivers need to be schemed open he needs a fairly clear picture to get things done that's true of 90 percent of the quarterbacks in the nfl at any given time um and it's you know the the brady's and the wilson's and the breezes and the whoever's um that's true of any quarterback to some degree it's a little more true of cousins than it is of a russell wilson or a drew Brees. that doesn't make Cousins a horrible quarterback. It means he's very, very good, great at times. Um, I do think there is a ceiling, and I think you have to scheme around it. And I think that's just always going to be true of him. Yeah, and I think the ten percent win the Super Bowl usually, <laughs> right? The, the, the well, the ten percent win the Super Bowl, or in Drew Brees' case, for three straight years, they go seven and nine. Yeah, uh, with five thousand yard seasons with the worst defense in the NFL, so it, <laughs> that can go both ways. Well, last thing for you, Doug, uh, in the NFC. Are the Saints the toughest team to beat in the NFC? Because I've kind of been looking at it that way. Right now, they're the toughest out. I don't know. You know, I don't know that Aaron Rodgers is done like Philip Rivers is done, but it's starting to look that way. Um, the 49ers, they're, and Brian Schottenheimer helped. 
San Francisco a lot with some really unimaginative pass game play calling. But Sam and I wrote about this last week. San Francisco's pass defense has really fallen off a cliff in the last month. So that's going to be a problem for them in the playoffs unless they can figure a few things out. Um, Seattle is, you know, they're, they're the spiky team right now. You don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So right now, as far as consistently, um, the thing about the Saints, they've averaged, I think, over 300 yards, 300 passing yards per game or, or close to it. They only have one turnover in the last four weeks. And they've caused a lot. So that's kind of another thing. Um, I would say in the NFC, the Saints are probably the team to beat. Um, AFC, it's probably the Baltimore. Do not overlook Kansas City. Their defense has improved exponentially in this second. I know they lost Thornhill, the safety, to an ACL injury, and that's rough. But Tyron Matthew, if you could do defensive player of the year on the second half of the season, I'd probably give it to him. So that's kind of the team no one's talking about. And every year there's that team, whether they make it to the Super Bowl or not, they just come through with a weed whacker and no one's talking about them. All of a sudden they're in the championship game and everyone's going, what? I think this year's the Chiefs. Yeah, it was like people got down on the Chiefs for the loss against Indianapolis because it was on national TV and decided they were too weak to win. And then uh, they're a very different team now. Uh, Doug, always, always appreciate your work and your analysis. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. Look forward to more.